Hey everybody, it's Mike Kenoki, general contractor at large, host of the Contracting Handbook, coming back at you with the second half of this interview with Michael Anschel. We finally get around to answering some of the questions I prepared for the, for the show. Michael defines success, and trust me, the answer is unconventional. Then we dive into leadership, knowing when you're ready, and delegation. And then we take a deep dive into estimating. Here's a couple sound bites from the show. I was turning 30. I was like, I haven't made a million dollars. I don't have a retirement put away. I'm a total, I'm a total freaking failure. That's where I was. Yeah, and someone set someone set up some weird expectations for us back yeah. in those days, right? <laughs> they did. I don't think I really understood that the the business was a vehicle for happiness. I thought it was a vehicle for for income. Profit is a requirement. I think it intentionally, I'm intentionally not answering the question because I think it needs to be malleable and it needs to, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of work and a lot of dedication. And you got to come to it every day with the intention of working on it and working on that skill and working on that skill and working on that skill. If you're, if you are the person in the trenches doing the work, you are not working on the discipline of building the systems that are required for a high performing business. What gives this company its gravity? What draws people to this company? And it is building structures and building systems that give the people within your organization the framework within which to operate. And then you're stepping back and allowing it to, to run and then going and tweaking the machinery. I'm in business to spend time with my kids. I'm in business to travel. I'm in business to eat great food, to change the industry. It needs to improving. It's like, you know, this industry is like in its infancy, right? Home builders, we weren't remodeling homes. We were building homes. We didn't start remodeling homes until like the 60s, 70s. We were, we were running businesses that are in the business of contracting. We're not, we're not tradespeople. We cobbled, we, a lot of us cobbled our businesses together with the stuff that was lying around. You got in like Michael Stone's, you got Michael Stone's attention. He was like, he was like, <laughs> Michael Anschel, you are wrong. You are banished from the industry. <laughs> Most people hide behind single margin multipliers because they do not know their numbers. They do not know their overhead. They do not know their admin. Uh, and they've been told that this is what they should do. As a business owner, I was frustrated by not knowing how much money on a, on a given project I had that was my profit versus my overhead. Uh, and in overhead, how much of that was true overhead versus overhead that should have been assigned to the project. What justifies, what justifies the markup on that object? And then also you run the risk of losing your profit because you've tied your profit to an object instead of what your profit should be tied to, which is a service. Okay, now we're going to get into my prepared questions. I thought we were um, going to talk about the uh, the Yukon 1000. Uh, we, we, I definitely want to talk about that. Um, but first, I want to ask you this. You have obviously achieved great success 
as indicated by vast numbers of awards. Uh, you have great reviews. Your clients love you. You're dedicated to the aesthetics and healthy build aspects of your projects. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe success as a, the definition of success expands beyond the conventional thinking for you. You know, success, success is, um, it's an, it's an, it's an evolving concept. I think, uh, you know, what, what I thought success was back in 1995, 96, 97, um, when we were getting started and what I think of success as today, you know, young mind, slightly wiser mind, you know, probably still have a ways to go before I, you know, I'll come to some new definition of success. Um, yeah, I remember being anxious. I was, I was turning 30 and I was, I was like, I haven't made a million dollars. I don't have a retirement put away. I'm a total, I'm a total freaking failure. That's where I was. Yeah, someone set, someone set up some weird expectations for us back yeah. in those days, right? <laughs> they did. And I was very, um, yeah, I, I had lots of pursuits and things that I was doing, but I don't think I really understood that the, the business was a vehicle for happiness. I thought it was a vehicle for, for income. And when I, when I shifted that, thinking and realized that i mean it's not that i didn't realize it previously i just don't think that i had really been intentional about how i came to it the the success is not in the dollars it, it is nowhere to be found in the dollars you know and having a business or running a business which is a huge undertaking um is is definitely not about the money Profit is not a goal. I mean, profit is a requirement. You know, you, in order to live a particular way, you, you need this currency that we use to, to do things, to buy things. If I want a guitar, I got to have some money to buy a guitar, right? But the guitar and the music is the joy and the happiness, not the actual money. And the building of the house and the engagement with the clients. If I resent the client because I just see them as an obstacle to my making money, I'm in the wrong business. I have to, I have to love the interaction with the client, or I need to get out of the way and put somebody in that in place who loves the interaction with the client. So, you know, the 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 definition of success, I think it intentionally, I'm intentionally not answering the question because I think it needs to be malleable and it needs to. It needs to adapt to the condition. You know, Dar Darwin never said survival of the fit fittest, right? That that's a bunch of BS. It's all, his whole thing was that the the creatures that survive and thrive are those that learn to adapt to changes in their environment. And so we need to likewise adapt success to fit wherever we are in our time stream, and I think. Unfortunately, or fortunately, right? Um, like you have traveled a lot. I've been around the world a few times. You know, I've been through a few marriages. I've got a bunch of kids. You know, I've, 
I've got this diversity of experience that show has shown me other versions of success and how success can be for other people in the world and in other places that informs what I can then define as success for myself. And I think there, I'm very fortunate in that. There are some people I think who have a very narrow, like their world, their, their environment that they're in presents them with the model of this is what it means to be successful. You know, right. You were saying I'm, you know, who hurt me as a child to make me think I needed to make a million bucks by the age of 30. Right. But if you're in, if you're, if you're growing up in an environment where the people around you don't, their, their definition of success is a beer at the end of the day, or their definition of success is a big bank account. You don't necessarily know to reset your definition to, to be something else. Right. So it, the answer is the answer is 42. That's the answer that you were looking for. 42. That's the definition of success. Uh, yeah, we have to modify, but it takes wisdom to get to, to that assessment. It takes a lot of wisdom to get there. Because in, co in coaching mentors, you know, well, people dropping their wisdom on you and, and, you know, cause I was going to say, you know, let's rewind to the beginning of your career, which you kind of did because what was your vision of success then? And it was a million dollars money. Money. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It was money. So stupid. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of things got dropped on the way because of that for sure. Yeah. A lot of failure, a lot of failure came out of that pursuit. I, so I, we have, I have this, I have, I, I'm going to shamelessly plug. I have a, uh, I have a couple of businesses. One of them is um, I run with a psychologist buddy of mine. It's called winter camp. You should come to this, Mike. You you enjoy it, and we uh, we take sixteen business leaders out into the out up 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 into the mountains, and we spend a few days working on uh, on our businesses and stuff like that, but not in the conventional way. And so, when looking for that um, that definition of success redefining it you know how do how can we frame and reframe and frame and reframe and frame and reframe um and and it's funny i mean we we hit on this kind of formula it's like there's this many days in the year and 70 70 of them should be work and 70 of them should be play and 70 of them should be family and then do what you want with the rest you know, but the amount of money that you need is a lot less than you think, I think, <laughs> right? You know, if you probably, if the proposition could be, hey, for $70,000 a year, 
you know, would you take $70,000 a year if it meant that you had, uh, you could take three months of vacation? You know, or you can make $150,000 a year and you get three days of vacation. You know, which, which, which one are you going to no, be happier? No, thanks. Yeah, right. No three days of vacation for this kid. No, no <laughs> way. That's impossible. Yeah. And and you got you do other stuff too, right? I mean, you have other other passions, things that you want to put time and energy into. Yeah, play music and stuff. So that's success, man. Yeah. What's yours? What's your definition of success? Definitely having a lot of time to do what I want to do. You know, to to be around people I want to be around. Uh, I I want to enjoy my work, but the money, you know, I had my shift from chasing a lot of money about six years ago when I was doing well, but the payback, like the, the return for the time put in was diminishing as I got busier mm -hmm. and I saw my health going sideways and stressed out of my mind. And so, so I think a lot of now what I see as success is, 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 is overcoming that, that need to be the best or the busiest contractor in town and making money and, you know, I make my money the way I want to now. And, and I still have a life outside of that. And I can find more enjoyment in the work too, because, yeah. because it's not just trying to get it done. You're, you get to focus on good work and interesting things. Uh, and I like to be able to travel. I like to be able to go and, and experience other cultures and eat food in other places. It's really important to me. The food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. So. The, the food in other places is so good. Mm -hmm. It is. And I'm, and I'm not talking like England or Germany. I'm talking about other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Asia. <laughs> right? Wow. Asia. Amazing food. Um, so you're running this you know, I'm, I'm getting way conventional in my questioning now. We, we're like coming out of the deep. Sorry. First half I keep going. Show. I keep, yeah. No, it's, I, this is great stuff because it's, these are the conversations I have with people after I stop recording. And, and we're just in it. And it's, it's really, it's great. Um, and... One of the things I, I wonder about is leadership because we are, we have to lead our 
crew. We have to lead our trade partners and our, and our clients. So, and you have this design build firm. So you got a lot of personalities uh, to manage on a daily basis. Uh, what do you, what do you, know about the business side of running a design build firm now that you didn't know when you were younger because and like how did that start how did you decide that you were going to be able to do that that's a lot of questions i'm sorry um I, so I'm not going to give you an unconventional answer for this one. I, I'll, 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 I'll be more conventional. Uh, you, you do you. You do you, man. <laughs> I, so, um, you know, I, I, the, the entrepreneurial seizure, uh, you know, I had it at a really young age. I, I got detention in junior high school for selling candy out of my locker, uh, you know, between fifth and sixth period when everyone was tired and I'd go and buy noun laters, mm. you know, for five cents a pack mm-hmm. or 10 cents a pack, whatever. And I would sell them for a nickel a piece. And, um, I mean, I'll, I mean, wow, that was easy. Um, and I, when I, I got detention <laughs> for operating a business on school grounds illegally, but um, you know, when I was living in China, I went to a music, I saw these musical instruments and I had, I was teaching and I had a, a, I was asked a student about, you know, where are these instruments, you know, where are they made? And turns out, you know, cousin's friend, whatever's brother works for this company. And so, you know, I formed a company, I formed an import export company of, uh, you know, ancient musical instruments and got to meet the president of this big manufacturing company and tour their plant and bought a bunch of cymbals and drums and gongs. Um, So I think I'm telling that story as a way of, you know, how, how did I know that I could do it? I don't think that I ever thought that I couldn't. And I suppose that's probably my parents and grandparents that I need to thank for, you know, creating, creating, um, creating for me a way of looking at the world as just a series of possibilities and opportunities, um, and as fit failure as a great teacher and, um, you know, that, that it, it all takes a lot of work, but that, that work you're going to get better and better and better and better at, right. Just like practicing a musical instrument, you know, you pick up a bow the first note doesn't sound very good. You know, 15 years later, it sounds pretty good, right? 30 years later, it sounds amazing. But it, it, it doesn't happen in the first one, two, three, four, five years, right? Um, uh, Shoji Hamada, the, the grandfather of, well, he's a J- Japanese ceramicist, and he and Bernard Leach brought ceramics kind of to the West. You know, the, in their studio, you spent, what, you spent three years mixing clay, then you spent three years centering clay, and then you spent three years opening, just making the opening for the pot. Then you could throw a pot. That's a long time to spend doing each of those activities. So you get really, really 
like, right? So then center pull, it's easy. And after it's like, after 20 years of throwing, you're allowed to make a T-bowl. And a T-bowl is the only thing in Japanese ceramics that's allowed to be imperfect. Everything else is supposed to be thrown with precision. The T-bowl is the master potter after they've mastered the craft being loose and, and letting it wiggle just for a second and knowing when that should be, knowing that precise moment. And I think the business is the same way. We jump into the business with all of the hats on, doing it all at once, and we do it all really poorly. And I think that the, 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 the recipe that's required to, to have a really good business and to, and this is long, a long answer, Mike, but you asked a giant question. I'm trying to go for, put no, into something going. cohesive. I, I'm taking notes. <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of work and a lot of dedication. And you got to come to it every day with the intention of working on it and working on that skill and working on that skill and working on that skill. It also requires that you recognize you are not a master potter, right? I, 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 I have a business. I'm usually going to be in the business for quite a while before I'm ever going to get to run the business. Eventually, I get to own the business, right? Owning the business means you've got all the pieces in place and it's running and you're not there. You, you could choose to be there. You could choose to know what's going on or you could choose not to, and it would still function. And so I, I, you know, I, I set out for myself the goal of moving my business to a place where I owned it and I, and I could retire. And I did for like three years, you know, and that was great, but I didn't have it perfect. And some wheels started to get wobbly and I had to step back in to that process. Right. But it, it is, if you're, if you are the person in the trenches doing the work, you are not working on the discipline of building the systems that are required for a high performing business. And when you focus instead on either bringing the people in who are excellent at what they do in those areas where they've made the study of those things, their focus, right? Someone who's really, really, you know, good at accounting should be the person sitting at the seat doing the bills and the invoicing and tracking where your cash flow and managing that part of it, right? Unless, unless that happens to be you, right? And uh, the person who is an excellent communicator should be the person who's doing the client interface. And the person who is the excellent trim carpenter should be doing the excellent trim carpentry. And the person who's excellent at schedules should be doing schedules. But then there's all the other parts of the business, right? There's, there's all, there's the marketing side, there's the legal side, there's the strategy side, there's what's the purpose, mission, vision, and values of this organization that propel it forward. What gives this company its gravity? What draws people to this company? Someone has to be doing the work of leading. You said, you you know, you said leadership, right? Leadership is the, the, the person who is 
diving into all of those subjects that give the business something deep and rich and attractive, you know, it's, it sits at the core of the thing that spins around it. There's all the parts and pieces out here. Those are relatively easy to address. And there are people that you can bring in to address them. But if the business itself at its core doesn't have beautiful systems and framework within which to operate and, um, you know, uh, value propositions that allow for problem solving, it, you know, it's, we don't have a strictly, most of us are too small and our functions are too great for us to have a traditional org structure with narrowed silos of operation, right? We are more like air traffic controllers and we have, we operate in a more chaotic structure and that chaotic structure requires basic boundaries and rules and principles within which to govern and to run inside those things. So it's not as um, it's hard work. I mean, that's the end of the day. It's really, really hard work. And it is building structures and building systems that give the people within your organization the framework within which to operate. And then you're stepping back and allowing it to, to run and then going and tweaking the machinery. You know, it takes one finger to drive a car. That's what the leader does. They have their finger on the car, they have their eyes on the road. And all of the other parts are, are doing what they're supposed to be doing, but you have to, to do that. And most of us aren't gonna build a car from scratch, right? That'd be, that'd be stupid. Right. We're going to we're going to assemble a bunch of parts that work really well already, and we're going to put them together in a framework of our design. How's that? Uh, you crushed it with that answer. <laughs> if there's anyone I should have had on the show when I was going to define contractors as being complex people coming to <laughs> the industry, <laughs> I think I've chose the right guest. Oh, you've had a you've had an episode with Brent Taylor. That guy, that guy's pretty complex too. He's got all kinds of stuff going on. He's really neat. And I yeah. was on a pod, I was on a show with him last night too. I was on the Shop Shop Class podcast, uh, which was very cool. Uh, I don't know that one. All right, it's it's a it's some Shop Class teachers. Yeah, and and then a couple guys from. Instagram who are shop class teachers. And one of them, I, I, I'm sure I can't remember. I don't, I'm I have such a hard time keeping up with who's who I follow two of these guys there. And one of them builds houses with his students. Oh, Matt. Uh, Matt. Yeah. Matt, Matt. Build, learn, teach. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just, I just kind of came across them recently, and, but it was, a, it was really fun talking to them. It's a great show. It's just whoever's on, two hours of, of, um, the host is a, he's, he, he, he does an automotive shop class. And so he's fascinated by builders. He's just like, what? I don't understand. You know, it's really fun. Very enthusiastic. And, and as should be, he's a teacher. So I'm sure his students love him. All cool. those guys. You know, my, it's funny. My next question on here has definitely already been answered. Uh, it was, why are you in business? Is it money or something else? But I think we've got that. We've got that pretty well covered. Yeah. I'm in business to like, I'm in business to spend time with my kids 
actually, no, that's not true. I'm, I'm in business to spend time with my kids. I'm in business to travel. I'm in business to eat great food. But there's another piece. And, and um, I, am, I am in business to change the industry businesses business the, the business has been and it's been a big part of my of my life um since probably 2003 but the business has allowed um it, it's like it's this platform that's allowed me to help change and improve our industry and i spend a lot of time working on improving our industry because it needs to improving. It does. I'm, I'm since I've started the podcast, it's been really refreshing to see that there's so many people that want to change the industry because for instance, I've met a lot of these people on Instagram because, you know, you try to promote your podcast, however you can. And it seems like the construction industry has really migrated to Instagram versus Mm -hmm. Facebook. And, and, when I was on Instagram, just as my construction business, I was, I was just posting stuff. I wasn't really paying attention. I didn't know there was all these conversations going on about changing industry. I feel like I'm good at what I do where I am. And I set a standard for myself that's way above what's expected, you know, but, but I didn't know there were so many people out there that really wanted to change the industry. And it's, it's, and now I've been kind of brought into that fold and it's really refreshing and fun. Yeah, that high perf- the high performance crowd that really is pushing building techniques. Yeah, is there? There's that whole group. There's the you know the, there's the green building group. Um, you know the green building programs and standards. There's there's the codes side. You know, helping to re- you know write better code language. And Glenn's work in that. Uh, and then there's, there's the, like you were on Kyle's show, you know, uh, there's folks like that in Victoria and who are really trying to help on the business, more on the businessy side of improving the industry. <clears throat> it's a young, you know, someone pointed out to me how young this industry is. And I never really got it until this is like a month ago, Gerald Hayes was like, you know, this industry is like in its infancy, right? It was home builders. We weren't remodeling homes. We were building homes, right? We didn't start remodeling homes until like the sixties, seventies. And, and it was a trade. It was a, it was carpenters who did remodeling as, as a trade. Mm -hmm. And there's so much of the, the canon of knowledge about this industry for modeling comes from tradespeople who are, who are the business. And we haven't kind of like knocked it, it gotten into our heads yet. We are not that anymore. We're contractors. We're not in the trades. We may have come from the trades, some of us. We have come to the trades, but we're we are we're business owners, and we 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 are running businesses that are in the business of contracting. We're not we're not tradespeople. 
We're not electricians. So I, I, would, I, I, got, I got to uh, give a talk in, um, in Shanghai a number of years ago at the International Fenestration Conference. Largest conference in the world. <laughs> Can you believe it? Amazing. Most people don't even know what fenestration is. I bet there's contractors who don't know what fenestration is. There was a time in my contracting life when I didn't know what a fenestration was. Absolutely. Yeah. Openings. <laughs> you know, to defenestrate is to throw out of, like, to, if you defenestrate someone, you throw them out of the window. Hmm. Yeah. So. I'm going to have to find, figure out a way to use that in a sentence that I, <laughs> in the coming weeks, I'm going to say that to someone. Watch it. Oh, defenestration. But so my, the, the subject that I was asked to talk about was, um, was remodeling of buildings. And I, it was one of these like aha moments when I realized the remote, someone asked in the question, you know, a number of the questions from the audience were about the industry itself. Like they were less interested in the solutions and the process of, of addressing glazings and fenestrations and how you work all that. And more like, but what is remodeling? What, what is a remodeling business look like? Because China has no remodeling industry, mm. but they're starting to have one. And I thought, man, if there was ever a time to like do it right, like how cool it be to go there and actually be like, define what, what it is and the rules with which they'll operate, you know, could have like a, a legitimate industry instead of the favela thing that we have, you know? Yeah. Ours is definitely just a bunch of people making up as they go along. Yeah. Lots of people I, I, doing it right. Lots of people lots doing of people. it right. Lots of, yeah. lots of people doing it wrong. I stole a favela reference from Mark Richardson years and years and years ago. But, you know, we cobbled, we, a lot of us cobbled our businesses together with the stuff that was lying around, you know, and we built it on the back of someone else who'd cobbled their business together. And, and I'm on and on and on and on. So sometimes it, it takes stepping away and digging a proper foundation and building, you know, building a proper business. Yeah. Yep. And that's what I'm trying to do with the, this and the book because just give people a hand, just some stepping stones. Cause mm -hmm. I, you know, I got a couple along the way. There were some people who helped and gave me good advice if I was willing to listen. Now we're going to get into some nuts and bolts. Yeah. I want to talk about contracts. You did say your website needs to be updated by uh, how many years you've been in business. So maybe this web part of the website needs to be updated too. But I read on your website, it says with regard to contracts, our construction contracts are not estimates. They are fixed sum contracts. Did we mention we are fully transparent with our pricing? Okay. That does not need to be updated. That is, that is Rock still accurate and true. That is rock solid. Okay. That's in stone. So, what does that look like for markup? 
Oh, you want to go there? Because that's what Kyle Hunt always wants to talk about. Because that's what the that's what the that's what the business guys always want to talk about. And you know what? No one knows. I bet if I surveyed all my contractor buddies, I don't have a lot of contractor buddies actually, because I don't really know that many because I'm busy. We don't we see each other. We, we kind of know who we <laughs> yeah, like. I think that's so and so. I've seen him at Home Depot every time I've been there, but if I surveyed everybody and asked them what their markup was or how they mark up materials or how they mark up their subcontractors, I bet I would never get the same answer. Mm. Yeah, that's probably true. <clears throat> there's a bunch of people who there's a bunch of people who espouse a certain answer. Mm -hmm. There's Mike, Michael Stone. Michael Stone doesn't like me. I mean, we like each other as people, but he does. He, he called me a traitor to the in, traitor to the industry. Uh, you know, with, with my uh, estimating model, I, I don't think so. I think that we're, you know, kind of Stone Age Neanderthal. You know, about how we estimate. There's a lot of folks who who I think don't. This goes. It gets to the mechanics, but I. But yeah, no, it's it's all over the board. In, in this is the weird thing, right? You got in like Michael Stone's. You got Michael Stone's attention. He was like, he was like, <laughs> Michael Anshul, you are wrong. You are banished from the industry. <laughs> One point five. Oh God, right? No, I mean, yeah, sure, if you want to, but that's dumb. I mean, and it's not even Stone. It's Stoppleworth, and Stoppleworth wasn't even in the in the industry, and. You know, I was chatting with Victoria Downing just a couple weeks ago as well on her podcast, and it was the same. She's like, "Yeah, but we, we know that it's not sophisticated, but it it it's it's a good place to start." You know, people need a place to start, and I and I respectfully, you know, we're not we're, we're we are building complex structures, right? We are working with an assemblage of parts. Our guys can do the math to cut a valor after, right? We are capable of math beyond simple multiplication. It's totally within our wheelhouse. We have computers that do most of the calculations for us, right? So why are we treating remodelers like, you know, they ride the short bus? Uh, and it's, it is really specific and unique to this industry. I have friends in the commercial world who just, they laugh, you know, that, that people, A, use that 1.67 or 1. gross margin multiplier or that they, you know, take these, I, I share these positions and they just laugh. Like, I can't believe that you guys, are, that, that's an industry, right? Because in the world of, in the commercial world, that would never fly. And if you've got a publicly financed project, that will not fly, right? And estimating is not even that hard. <clears throat> I mean, it's hard to do it right and to do it well to get the numbers right, for sure. But the mechanics of it aren't that hard. So my philosophy is this. Um, most people hide behind single margin multipliers because they do not know their numbers. They do not know their overhead. They do not know their admin. Uh, and they've been told that this is what they should do. And they do it across the board to the detriment of both the projects, the, their businesses, uh, and the client. It's not it's not accurate. 
it's just simple. It's just lazy. And it's very, very difficult to run a business well on, on that. Right. I mean, your, your overhead is different than my overhead right out of the gate. Your company and my company should be, should be marking up our projects differently. Period. Right. Uh, I'm in Minneapolis. <clears throat> I can get to all of my projects within, I've got a project two minutes away, four minutes away, 15. I mean, within 15 minutes, I can hit three job sites. I, 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 I suspect out in Fairbanks, it probably takes more time than that to get to a job site or to go pick up more materials to get back to the job site. Right. So time to drive like you can't just estimate your project without taking into consideration things like proximity, mm -hmm. complexity of the project. How often are you required to be on site? How much management needs to be applied to that project? There are all of these, I call them cost of project, project execution factors that need, that need, they need to be figured out. And then your overhead is a function, is a function of both time and resources. Right. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I, I have a 300, I have $350,000 in overhead. How do I apply that to my projects? Is, do I take a single percentage to all projects based on cost? That would be ridiculous. Right. If I've got a project that's going to occupy my crews for six months because of its complexity, I need to assign more overhead to that job than a, job that will be turned over in a week can i interrupt and ask you yeah. in that in that sense are would you be replacing what would be called markup with more labor cost yes yeah so my what our approach is the the, the well so two things first the reason for doing it because i think why matters the reason why I no longer use a gross margin multiplier is because as a business owner, I was frustrated by not knowing how much money on a, on a given project I had that was my profit versus my overhead. Uh, and in overhead, how much of that was true overhead versus um, overhead that should have been assigned to the project, right? Man, if the project didn't exist, do I need a project manager, right? 80% of their time is spent on projects. 20% of their time is spent on, on the business. So mostly the answer is no, right? So their costs should really be assigned to projects, not to overhead directly, right? P portion of them should be. So it, it was from this frustration of not really knowing what I had to work with that I started to open it up. And in opening it up, I realized... I've got a whole series of fees, which are the, the, these costs of project execution, ordering materials, transporting materials, meeting with clients, and, and I can put hours to each of those, those things. And so I do. And then they're done at a different hourly rate than our labor rate. Right? Th those, some, those people are more expensive. Right? It's just what it is. Uh, and then I have to assign my overhead to the project. And after I do all of that, 18% profit. Mm. 
right? But I'm much, much closer to netting that 18%. And because I'm applying it to, to this number after everything is calculated, my percentage is a percentage of a larger base than if I took, I took COGS, right? Times 1.68 versus COGS plus cost of project execution, right? And then added my 18%. I end up, I end up, what I what ends up happening is we typically run something closer to a 1.84 if I was to reverse engineer the process. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I realized was, holy crap, this is why we were struggling to get ahead. Because we are a company with a fair amount of overhead. And it does not work to put a project in at 168. But then there's other projects that we were losing because it was like, man, you know, a past client calls me up and they want a you know, new boiler or a new roof. So I get a quote and I'm thinking, I can't take this, you know, $6,000 roof quote and go to the client and say $10,000 or the, or the boiler or whatever, right? They can call any roofer and they're going to get a number with it between five and $7,000 for their roof. And it will take me two phone calls and one site visit and two days to execute that roof, right? 1.68 is not the right markup. You know, I've got, at best, I've got a thousand dollars of management on that. And, mm. you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to agree that, uh, every job is, every job is different in terms of profit margin is going to be, if you're using one number based on, based on last year's sales and, you know, um, and so I don't particularly follow the profit, the markup and profit guys exactly by how they say it. I do think the rough guidelines for someone who doesn't know what they're doing and needs some sort of structure, it's great. It's good for them to, to know. A lot of people don't, don't even know how to mark something up or don't even know how to profit from their work at all. Then they I shouldn't mean, be, then they shouldn't own I mean, a lot of people just go <clears throat> broke, right? I, yeah, they won't own their business for very long. Then they have no, I mean, part of this is right. Like take the business seriously. They have no business being in business. If they're not going to, this sounds harsh, right? This is, this is the harsh start of, of Michelangelo, but they have no business being in business if they're not going to run an actual business. You know, if their thing is, you know, don't tread on me. I have my business, you know, screw you. That's not a business. That's, that's a, that's a thing that you do, but it's not a business. A, a business operates with rules. A business operates within structure and it's, it is there. It's, it's on the business owner to take a week and do some reading. And like, you, you don't have to come up with the solutions themselves. There are great business books out there for other industries that teach the, the basics of running a business, you know? 
go to business school at night, you know, like there's night classes online, you know, go, go to business school and learn it or hire somebody who knows how to run a business so that you can be the guy in the field. Who's, you know, I don't know. I'm being harsh, but that's the, well, hiring someone's probably the way to go. Kind of, kind of is. So, you know, that Mike, there's a great point there. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being the owner of the business and being the guy in the field. If that's your strength. Yeah. If you're a great carpenter, don't try to be a great business, business manager, hire someone to run your business so that you can be a great carpenter. If that's where your joy is. I'd say that I didn't start making money or start getting ahead or anything until I realized that my organizational skills are where it was at with me. I could, I'm a good, I'm a, I'm a good carpenter. Not as good as I was. Cause I'm not as practiced as a carpenter as I used to be. Cause I've been running a business for, for all this time. And I don't do as much carpentry as I used to, but, but I'm good at rallying the people and I'm good at orchestrating. It's a, it's very natural for me. And, and when I realized that and started farming out a lot of the other stuff, that was a real strength for me. That was a real, a, a real eye opener for me that I need to be focused on laser focused on one, what I'm really good at. I've always tried to multitask. I tried starting multiple businesses at the same time. No, didn't work. Cause, cause I, I didn't know how to run a business one. And then it was too much energy being spread out over, over too many projects. So, yeah. 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 Know your strengths, man. Right. Play to your strengths and hire out, hire, hire out for your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so I, to go back to your question on estimating, the reason we do transparency is because we can. I think we, I use the analogy of uh, going to the beach and, you know, depending on what kind of shape you're in, your comfort level with taking off your shirt. You know, when, when, I'm in, when I'm in peak form, I feel really comfortable, you know, and good about it. When I'm not during COVID times, spending way too much time on Zoom, you know, I'm like, where's my baggy shirt? when you've got your numbers dialed in and you're, you know them and the client says, so what's driving the project? And you say, well, here, uh, let me, let me share my screen. Here's my estimating software. Let's go through it. There's no fear. I've got zero fear. I've never, I've never had a client. I mean, I always go down to the bottom. Like this is what the project total is. There it is. We ripped the bandaid off. You know, and uh, that line right there, that's what I'm going to make on the job. And every time the client says, yeah, you got to make money. I get it. And then from there, that's done. Like now they know the total and they know what part of it is my profit. And everything else outside of that is a discussion. Right. If they say, hey, I, can, I, uh, can I source the light fixtures? I mean, it won't change the cost of the light fixtures, but, but sure. Um, or, Hey, can we, um, 
can we can we can we get rid of the cabinets in the living room? Can we get rid of the library cabinetry? We'll do those later. So okay, let's open up the cabinet makers numbers. And here is you know library cabinets, and I'll just draw a line through that and I'll edit the number in right. And now we have a new total. We can do that in real time with the client and the trust, like the part of this whole process the client hates the most is this black box of estimating and feeling like they're going to get ripped off. You know, if, if you, if you, if you open that up and you say, here's, here's how it works. And Dave Gerstel, um, you've read his, have you read his book, nail your numbers? Mm -mm. Have you, have you met him? Have you had a chance to talk to him? No, I don't know. No, I don't you gotta have Dave on your show. Dave is, Dave is a, just mm. a gem of a human being. Um, and he and I've had some really, really rich conversation that have, he made this comment about, you know, profit is a function of market condition. I love that. You know, what is the market? That's what your profit is. Whatever the market's hot, your profit's up. Market's down, your profit's down, right? But also this notion that there is a, there's almost a legal obligation as a contractor hired by the client to facilitate in the creation of a thing that you are helping to, to, to figure out what the thing even is, to share with them the, the costs of what it is that they're creating, right? They've hired you to help them navigate our, this industry and your job is advocate, your job is guide. You're, you are there not, you know, not, not to mark up materials. You're not a retailer, you have no inventory. So if you think about that, if you, if, you, if you reframe it so that you are the client's advocate to the industry and you charge a fee for all of the things that you do, then you have been fully compensated for your time and you've been compensated well, right? Whatever rate you've chosen. And you will profit off the success or the failure of that operation. That's your risk is in the profit, right? Doesn't go well, it's gonna chew up your profit. Goes really well, you make your profit. But everything else is something that, that why, you know, they, they can Google, they can easily Google, they can go to build.com and find out what all of the stuff costs. So, well, you know, toilet $900 and they're like, but it's a $500 toilet. And you're like, yeah, but I got to order it. And they're like, I can order it too. Watch, click, ordered, shipped to site. I mean, what justifies, what justifies the markup on that object? And then also you run the risk of losing your profit because you've tied your profit to an object instead of what your profit should be tied to, which is a service. That's my soapbox. I'm going to set it right over here. I'll climb off of it. Do you think that the people listening to this should subscribe to this podcast? <laughs> I think it's awesome what you're doing, Mike. I really do. I think that the the way that you're holding these conversations and bringing these sub bringing these subjects into conversation and the individuals that you're connecting with and the, the purpose for um, creating this possibility for the industry to be better and to, to be more navigable is it's a pretty noble pursuit. So kudos. So right. subscribe to this podcast. Yeah. And, uh, and give us a rating. And you can do a, you can leave a rating on iTunes, your podcast app, or you can actually leave one on my website now. Cause I have a new website where you can go to it. 
you can subscribe to my newsletter and then you can actually write whatever you want. You can say, those guys did not talk about construction enough. They talked about whatever they're into. One star. It's fine. <laughs> or you could give me a five-star review because that'd be better. Uh, um, you can follow Michael and see his work at, uh, at OA Builds. And you can check out their website too. OADesignBuild.com. You can follow me at The Contracting Handbook on Instagram and The Hammer App. I'm just Mike Kenoki there. And I'm also Mike Kenoki on Patreon, where you can make a contribution for the content of the show. You can find a link to that in the show notes or in the link tree on my Instagram page. Thanks a lot. That's all I got. Later. <laughs>